Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. I want to delve right into what's been laid on my heart today to share with you. There will be a lot of scripture um, that we'll go through. And I know, I know our world today, uh, on the television, there are all kinds of channels and things to uh, entertain us. Can I use that word to entertain us? But that's not my goal here this morning. I want to present to you a, a serious word that... We'll, we'll reference back to the parashah, the Torah portion. And again, as I said, there'll be a lot of scripture and I think some main points that you'll be able to derive. And I was thinking as we, last week, we, we began the new year, 2024. We began by, uh, with a beautiful service of the Torah portion and then also the Seodato Don, the Lord's Supper. And this year, I want to begin this message with with something more serious. So, you know, if you carefully study Scripture, and how many of you are students of Scripture? Not just readers, but you get out your books and you start looking at them. Nowadays, people just turn on their computer and start doing it. But you're a serious student of Scripture, and I hope that's all of us. That's something we would like to see everyone be, a serious student of Scripture. And when I say serious, I also mean a humble student of scripture, to not think that we have it all figured out because we delved a little deeper into the scripture, or we looked more into the Strong's Concordance, or we, we looked into Jacinius or something like that, but to be humble, but to approach scripture in a humble manner, uh, teachable, trainable, especially by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the Holy Spirit, to be teachable. And if, you, if we carefully study Scripture and we look at the overall picture from Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, all the way to the very last book in the Brit Hadashah, the book of Revelation, we'll continue to encounter passages of Scripture that point to God's character and nature. And as we are reading through Scripture, starting in Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, and going all the way through the, the writings of the Tanakh, and into the Brit Hadashah, into the New Covenant, we'll see that, that that follows through, that you can do that for all the books of the Bible. Connect those writings, because after all, what do we call those writings? We call those writings, Devar Adonai, the word of the Lord. And his word reveals him and who he is, at least to some degree, as we're able to receive that. We find that God is faithful to his covenant, and in accord with his character and his nature, and here's a key point and one that I want to proverbially harp on, in, 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 in accord with his character and his nature, I'm so thankful I can say this to you today. He hears the prayers of his people. I am thankful to be able to say that, that he doesn't turn a deaf ear he doesn't turn his ear away from those that are, are, are seeking after him, those who are called by his name, those who sincerely want to follow him. His ears are open to our cries. The psalmist, when we read the psalms, in one place the psalmist, the psalmist went so far as to, to actually say that that's why he loved the Lord. That's why he loved the Lord, and, that's, and that because of that, he would continue to call upon the Lord. I'm, I'm referencing Tehillim, Psalm 116, beginning with verse 1, where it says, I love Adonai. Can you say that today of yourself? I love Adonai. I love the Lord, for he hears my voice, my cries, because he has, what, turned his ear to me. He has turned his ear to me. 
I will call on him all my days. And it was so, uh, so significant when Shelby was doing the announcements. He talked about his ears being clogged, <laughs> closed up. And I'm so thankful that God's ears are not like that towards his people. And how many of you can honestly say, and this is a Michael poll here, you can honestly say that at one point in your life, historically, one point in your life, you cried out to the Lord and the Lord actually heard your prayer and he responded to it. If you can say that, will you please raise your hand? Because I can. He hears the prayers of his people. Now there's a few little asterisks that we need to attach to that. He doesn't always respond the way we think he should. He doesn't always respond in the time frame we would like him to, but he does hear our prayers, and he responds literally according to his will, and his will is the best. Now, the apostle, the writer of 1 Yohanan, 1 John, was confident that God hears Here's the prayers in 1 John chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. He says, now this is the confidence we have before him. This is the confidence we have before him that if we ask anything how, anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked from him. When we are in line with his will, we are really connected with him and his purposes. And as Yeshua stated in the wonderful prayer, which I love sometimes to conclude our service with, the, what we commonly call the, uh, the Our Father. He said, he prayed, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a confidence we can have that if we're praying, we're asking God for something, and we're asking it according to his will, we can be confident he hears us and he will respond accordingly. Because we do want, if we really are searching after him, following him, we do want his will to be done on earth. And we want his will to be done in our lives. We want his will to be done in the lives of those around us. And how good he is to respond to really give us his best, which is his will. And Kepha, quoting from the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures, Peter, he also affirmed that there's a special relationship between God and his people. And, and that relationship is in stark contrast to the relationship of evildoers. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are what? They're on the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And then there's this, this addendum here, and his ears are what? Are open to their prayers. And then Kepha, again, this is a reference back to the writings of the Tanakh. He then says this, but the face, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, but the face of the Lord is against all those who what? Do evil. And there's this great distinguishing here where God's eyes are upon his people. They're on the, 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 the righteous. Those are trying to do what's right in his sight to, to do his will, so to say. And his ears are open to their prayers. But then in contradistinction when it comes to the evil, the face of the Lord, the presence of the Lord is against them. Now, I don't know what that says to you, but that says to me that we want to make sure that we're walking rightly with the Lord and that we are in line with his will in our life and what we're doing and what we're saying, that that's paramount for us. And the followers of Yeshua, the followers of Yeshua, calling on the Lord is an important aspect of our life. It's an important part of, can I say it this way, our daily spiritual walk calling upon the Lord, and not just when we have need. I mean, there's nothing wrong with calling on the Lord when we have need. And again, if I asked you to raise your hand, how many of you cried out to the Lord in your need? All our hands would go up. It's said that that is the shortest of all prayers, help me, Lord. <laughs> cried out from all different circumstances by all different people. Some that even mock his name will cry out. And I've even heard of some who say they don't believe in God. What do they do when they're in a proverbial pickle? God help me. Yet they may say, I don't believe in him. <laughs> but they cried out to him. 
But God's word is so clear that we are in an intense battle at times. And I'm sure you've felt it. The rage sometimes, the raging that's going on. This warfare, we call it spiritual warfare using new covenant terminology. But there's a, an intense battle, battle going on. Particularly concerning us and doing the will of God. Maybe you and you doing the will of God. There isn't a battle going on. There may be some who try to discourage you from following the Lord. There may be those who try to discourage you from giving your attention to doing his will. There may be those who in our society mock and belittle believers. It's very common now to make fun of believers. Of the godly, it's common. It's, it's, uh, it's comedic right now when really it's more sad than anything and more, more uh, a d- description of what's happening in this day, these days of Noah that we live in. And sometimes difficult circumstances that come into our life can really weigh us down. Difficult circumstances. And these difficult circumstances, as we feel the weight of these circumstances, they have many different names and titles to them. Emotional, spiritual, physical, financial, social. These weights of the weight of the circumstance actually hinders us from seeking God. We feel so overwhelmed that, that we, we should be crying out to God and, and teach ourselves and train ourselves by the power of the Spirit to cry out to God in those circumstances. But sometimes we don't. And our flesh at times, our sarks as it's called in the Greek language, Our flesh also resists submitting to God. It just does. It's at enmity, as the book of Romans says. It's at enmity with the spirit. The flesh, the fleshly desires can be very much at enmity with the desires of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And above all these, there's the enemy of our souls. The one who delights, I believe he delights in thwarting, in thwarting our efforts to draw near to God and to serve God. He'll attempt to thwart those efforts as much as he can, the enemy of our souls. And some have said, well, I really don't have any trouble with the evil one because I don't believe he exists. (laughs) Well, you just prove that he does because you're totally deceived with that statement and he's the deceiver. And others have said, I have no, temp- no trouble with temptation. I just give in and every time, and then I'm all right. And that's deception, too. It's what Yaakov, James said in chapter 4, verse 7, that really catches my attention. Verse 7, therefore, submit to God. Moreover, take a stand against the adversary and there's a promise connected to these things. Submitting to God and taking a stand against the adversary. And then the apostle writes, and he will flee from you. And then verse 8, we shouldn't lop off this verse because this verse is an important connector. Come close to God. Draw near to God. Come close to God. And he will come close to you. There's reciprocity there. When we draw near to God in the way that he desires, he draws near to us. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Clean, cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And the double-minded mentioned several times in the New Covenant, that term. This passage that I just read in James calls for God's people, the people of God. And I believe I'm addressing the people of God this morning. To be holy both inwardly in the recesses of our heart and also outwardly with our actions. That's what we're called to. But we're also called to be single-minded about it, not double-minded. As the scripture says earlier in the book of Yaakov, the double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. But we're called to be single-minded, to have a singular focus on the Lord. And this can be very difficult in our era. Have you noticed that? There are so many distractions that we encounter in life. If we went through our week, each of us, and we started listing all the things that distracted us, we'd have a very long list that distracted us from pursuing God. And yet it was Yeshua in Matthew Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, who made it so clear and stated it so succinctly, says, you cannot serve two masters. 
We can't do it. We're to serve the Lord and to serve the Lord alone. We shouldn't be double-minded about it. And the sooner in our lives that we make that decision and go forward with that decision, I am going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're not double-minded about it. We will find blessings keep opening up to us, along with tribulations and trials. <laughs> Let's be fair about it. It's not a life of, of roses here. <laughs> A bowl of cherries and a, a life of wine and roses. No. It's sometimes great tribulation, but he is with us through it all. And he sees us through because he is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our Messiah. And he's the king, the ruler of the universe. And he loves us. Now, this week's parashah, for those who read this week's portion... It offers us a memorable, and I think it's very memorable, a memorable example of how God, in keeping with his will and his blameless character and his covenant purpose, how he responded to the cries of his people, Israel. If you read the portion, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's this great thing. It also was mentioned in the prior portion, but God declared to Moshe, to Moses, in Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus chapter 6, verse 5, he says, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel. I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians are keeping in slavery. And then the Lord says, and I have remembered my covenant. Right away, if you didn't know much about the Bible, when you would read something like that, where God is responding that, that way, saying, I have heard and I have remembered my covenant, you know that there's good to come when God's involved. There's good to come for his people when he's involved. And Scripture allows us, in a, and I think in a most unique way, when we see the children of Israel in the mud pits of Egypt, it allows us later as we read through biblical history and we see what happens with that nation after that nation comes through 40 years in the Midbar, in the wilderness, ends up in the land of Canaan, Canaan and eventually a kingship is established with Saul, then David, then Solomon. And we're able through comparing Scripture what happened with the children of Israel in the mud pits of Egypt where God extends his great delivering power to, to bring our people out of there. And then what we read about at the time of the dedication of the temple, we see almost polar opposites. We see a people despondent in Egypt that seem to have no way out to be totally consumed by the slavery of the Egyptians over them. And then later, centuries later, after God deals with the people, we see this glorious example when King Solomon dedicates the temple. It is, to use the colloquial term, it's from rags to riches type of scenario. From the mud pits of Egypt to the glory of the Beit HaMikdash, the temple of Solomon. And as Solomon at that time, in Hebrew it's called Shlomo, when Shlomo dedicated the Beit HaMikdash, the temple in Jerusalem, he did so in a most magnificent manner. And I encourage you to read that if you haven't read that lately. What he actually did. Now, keep in mind where children of Israel were in the Torah portion. They're in the mud pits and slavery of Egypt. But then after centuries of God's dealing, how good is God? Centuries of God's dealing, there's this magnificent display of greatness, of blessing. And when Solomon dedicated the temple in that, that, that wonderful manner that he did, we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, beginning with verse 12, what happened? The scenario of the dedication of the temple. And again, I'd encourage you to read all that section, especially the prayer of Solomon into chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles 6. And for brevity's sake, I'll just read a few verses here. It says, Then Shlomo, the Solomon, stood before the Mizbeach, the altar of Adonai, in front of Kol Kaha Yisrael, in front of the entire Kahal, the congregation of Israel. There he stood, King Solomon. He had taken over the throne. The throne had become his after David's perishing. And Solomon stood before the altar of Adonai in front of the entire congregation of Israel. And you know what it says? He spread his hands 
you know what I love to do in this congregation? I love to worship with my hands lifted. Anyone else with me on that? I don't look around. I sit in the front. I don't pay attention to you guys. <laughs> I mean, but I like to spread my hands to the Lord. And there's Solomon doing that. There he is, the king. In all his splendor, as Yeshua described, there he is. Not only does he do that, he spreads forth his hand. And in verse 13, for Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, approximately nine feet long. Five cubits wide and three cubits high, and he placed it in the midst of the court, and he stood on it, and he knelt down upon his knees before for all the congregation of Israel. And then it says again, and he spread out his hands. Picture this scene with what we read about in the parasha of the children of Israel crying out from the mud pits of Egypt in despondency and almost hopelessness. And how good is God to raise up what he did all the way through Solomon. So Solomon stood on the platform. It was five cubits long. Let me read this again so you get a better view of it. Five cubits wide, three cubits high. And he placed it in the midst of the court. And he stood on it and he knelt down upon his knees. Is it scriptural? To kneel when you're praying? Yes, it is. Many examples of it. And he knelt down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel, and he spread out his hands towards heaven, and he said, Adonai Elohei Yisrael, ein kamocha Elohim b'shemayim uvaretz. He says, Adonai, God of Israel, there is no God like you in the heavens or in the earth. And then Solomon says this, keeping covenant and showing mercy to your servants. There's none like you, Lord. You keep covenant and you show mercy to your servants. But it doesn't stop there. It says, who walk before you with all their heart. You keep covenant, you show mercy to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Now Solomon, in his, these are the very first statements of the dedication of the temple at that time. And again, what does he mention? He mentions the covenant-keeping nature of God. And he also mentions that God shows mercy to his people. Have you received mercy from the Lord, any of you? I have great mercy too much to to elaborate on <laughs> blessed be the name of the lord he is merciful and good to his people and solomon no doubt knew because solomon was trained after all he was a descendant of abraham isaac and jacob he no doubt knew the history he, he, no, he no doubt knew the history of Israel in the land of Egypt. He no, he no doubt knew that the children of Israel had been in abject bondage and despondency and crying out to God and wondering. He knew that. Solomon was a descendant of the people of Israel. And he may have even known this verse from our parasha, Exodus chapter 6 beginning with verse 6, where God speaks to Moshe, to Moses, and says this, Moses, therefore, say to the people of Israel, Ani Adonai, I'm Adonai, I'm the Lord. I will free you from the forced labor of the Egyptians, rescue you from their oppression, and redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Adonai, the Lord your God, who freed you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land, and notice this please, I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your inheritance. Ani Adonai, I am the Lord. Now, if you're familiar, Donna mentioned the Passover Seder. The four cups that we share at the Passover Seder traditionally come from this passage, from this Exodus 6 passage. 
each cup describing the deliverance and the salvation and the redemption and, and, and God's works. But this text, there's more to it. Notice what happens next. There's more that Moshe had to reckon with at this time. With the children of Israel in bondage, with them crying out to God and God saying, I'm going to remember my covenant, I'm going to intervene, I'm going to deliver them. But Moshe has to reckon with some things that maybe we don't realize he had to reckon with. In Exodus chapter 6, continuing the same text, but in verse 9, Moshe said this to the people of Israel. <laughs> and rather than jumping up and down saying, yay, yay, no, they don't. It says, he said this to the people of Israel, but they wouldn't listen to him. They wouldn't listen to him, and the text is good because it gives us reasons why. For example, because they were so discouraged. Have you ever been so discouraged that you felt like the walls of life were coming crashing in on you? Many of us have. Even those that have an upbeat personality have had their moments of, of downbeatness. So he said this to the people of Israel. He, he said what God told him to say, but they wouldn't listen to him because they were so discouraged and their slavery was so cruel. So Adonai said to Moshe, go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel leave his land. I love this next verse, verse 12. Moshe said to Adonai, this text says it this way, it's a complete Jewish Bible text. It says to Adonai, he says, look, you can just hear this. Look, the people of Israel haven't listened to me. So how will Pharaoh listen to me, poor speaker that I am? <laughs> you see his reasoning with the Lord there? You want me to go talk to Pharaoh, but even my own people won't listen to me. Plus, I'm not a very good speaker. <laughs> so the issue at hand here, at least one of them, was not whether God would listen to the cries of his people and deliver them. Rather, the issue became, would the people listen to the Lord speaking through a vessel like Moses? Would they listen to him? And that becomes more of a crux point in this text than we realize, than we give credit to. Will the people listen to Moses? And Moses, and Moses thinking, well, if the people aren't listening to me, how's Pharaoh going to listen to me? Now, we learn in Israel's history, and really, even from the Torah forward, that God speaks in many different ways. In our Shabbaton, we're going to talk about this. He speaks in many different ways. He speaks from the heavens. You know, it says the heavens declare the glory of God. How many of you looked up at the heavens and you thought, wow, what a marvelous creator I have many times. Too many to count. In all different parts of this terra firma, this earth that I've been on, and I've looked up to the heavens, whether it was the Sinai Peninsula camping, or it was Jerusalem, or whether it was in northern Minnesota, wherever I've lived, or El Paso, and other, many other places, and I've looked up at the heavens at certain times, I've wow, how great is the Lord he created. This is his handiwork. His handiwork declares his great glory. And that's a constant testimony, by the way, going on every single day in every part of the world. And I would, I would even say to you that the clouds sometimes declare his glory. <laughs> but he also spoke in other manners. The, the, probably the most humorous is the donkey. <laughs> Speaking through the donkey. I mean, give Balaam some credit. That is a tough one, you know. And then, but then since I mentioned Balaam, he spoke through a pagan like Balaam. And the list goes on and on of all the different ways and means that God spoke to his people. How he tried to get his message across to them. He used so many different methods and ways. We can record them. We can list them. And I dare say maybe in your life he has different ways that he gets your attention. Some would say, yeah, he, uh, when I get in bad circumstances, I know that he's trying to get my attention. But will that same person say, when I'm in good circumstances, that he's trying to get my attention? The Torah warns us, be careful that when you prosper, you don't forget God. You don't forget God. It's easy to cry out when you're having a tough time. God help me, God help me, God help me. 
But when things are going well, will you still bend the knee to the living God? Will you still honor him with the first fruits of your labors? Will you still work and serve him when things are going well for you? When you feel like you're the king and your way is successful. The new covenant nips this question in the bud of God speaking. It nips it in the bud in such a dramatic way, in my opinion, in Hebrews chapter 1, the book of Messianic Jews chapter 1. God speaking to his people, and the question becomes, will we listen? Moses asked, will they won't listen to me, Lord. And then you want me to speak to Pharaoh? He won't listen either, perhaps. Hebrews chapter 1 says, God, who at various times and in various ways or manners spoke in time past to the Avot, the fathers, by the Nevi'im, the prophets. He has in these last days spoken to us by his son, Yeshua the Messiah, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins, Yeshua sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You want to really hear God's word in your life? Look to Yeshua. You want to really know what the Lord's saying? Read what Yeshua said. As Rabbi Carl mentioned, heaven and earth may pass away, but his words are not going to pass away. This place we're standing may be long gone, but his words will still be resonating in the eons of history and eternity. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to you and to me through Yeshua, his son. And we know God hears the cries the cries of his people. Scripture tells us that. We see that worked out. If you read the parasha, are familiar with the history with Israel and Egypt. We see God responding to the cries of Am Israel, the people of Israel. And I want to turn this now. And this is the crux point for me. Been saying everything to come to this. We know God hears the cries of his people. But do his people hear the cry of his heart? Do we hear the cry of his heart? And will his people do his will? And will his people follow his guidance? And will his people give heed to his word? Will his people bow their knee and bow their hearts to him? We know God will hear the cry of his people, but will his people hear his cry? Will his people hear his word? Will his people yield to him? I think that's a bigger question. And there's a warning in the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrew chapter 3, beginning with verse 7, that says there, this. Therefore, as the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, verse 8, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, a reference back to Mary by the Torah. Do not harden your hearts as in rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. Do not harden your hearts. If you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And sometimes he may speak things that you're not really wanting to hear. Have any of you ever had a corrective word from the Holy Spirit in your life? I've had. He may say things that don't go exactly as you would like them to. He may convict you through his word, his written word, certain things, and you, you may, oh, Lord, is this really what you're trying to say to me? Surely you mean this for Christopher. Surely you mean this for, you know, someone else. Are you really saying this to me? And, you know, he will test his servants to show them, I think, what's in their heart, what they're really about. I want to list for you seven major things that hinder our ability to hear and follow the promptings of his spirit 
And there are actually more. Seven major things that hinder our ability to hear and follow the promptings of a spirit. And we must make sure that at least these seven things that I'm going to mention are not taking root in our lives. Now, in the future, as God so blesses us with time, that these things don't take root in our heart. And the most obvious is the one that's mentioned in Hebrews 3, rebelliousness. You want to hinder following and hearing the prompting of the Holy Spirit, be rebellious. You won't hear anything. You'll hear your own thing or someone else's leading. But if you're rebellious, rebelliousness is an obvious reason why we can't hear the voice of the Lord. Number two, again, it's alluded to in the parasha and the uh, history that we're reading in the Torah. We can become discouraged And with that, we can become depressed, we can become overwhelmed, or succumb to a sense of general hopelessness in life. And that hinders us. When we get that kind of an attitude, we got to encourage ourselves in the Lord as King David did. He strengthened himself in the Lord. Don't depend on others. Look to God. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. And get out of that pity party stuff. And, and all that feeling sorry for yourself and woe is me type of life because God hasn't called you to that. He's called you to have life and to have it more abundantly. Why should we live discouraged? He's on the throne and he's coming back again and it's going to be good stuff. That's all I can say. Why should we constantly be depressed? Why should we always feel so overwhelmed? Why should we continue to succumb to a sense of general hopelessness? Sometimes we implant that in ourselves by all the news we're watching, all the things we're digesting from the media. Be careful. And I say that to myself as someone who steps back from that stuff because I can be a news hound 110%. Anyone else here can be a news hound? <laughs> Step away from it, friends. Be a Bible hound. Be a Word of God hound. Seek after those things. So number one, rebelliousness can hinder our ability to hear and follow the voice of the Lord and becoming discouraged and those type of things. A sense of hopelessness will hinder our ability to hear from the voice of the Lord. And the third one, and this is one that's mentioned in the book of Revelation, when we abandon a first love walk with God we will less and less be able to hear the voice of God. And that links us to the fourth one. If we deprioritize the things of God, thinking other issues in life are much more important to our future than our daily walk with the Lord and with his community, when we deprioritize the things of God, we will find his voice less and less audible to us. What will we hear? We'll hear our own thoughts. We'll hear the thoughts of others. But his voice, his words, they'll become increasingly distant to us, muffled, muffled. And number five, things that hinder our ability to hear and follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Number five, and I think this is a major one. From my view of many years being a rabbi, I would say this is a major one in America. We can become passive and apathetic. Can I say it this way? Spiritually lazy. And lazy in our service, in our devotion. We, we feel like, well, we've arrived already. Look, I'm a believer. What do I need to do this? I'm saved. I, I got through the finish line. <laughs> the prize is mine already. No, we run the race to the end. And we diligently run that race. But sometimes we can think because we've arrived and we think, oh, I'm saved now. I got it. That's it. We become apathetic and lazy. And congregation after congregation, church after church, believing community after believing community, ends up all the labor falls on a small group of people. And the others who are more than able to help and participate and jump in and be part of the, a vibrant part of the community, stand back. You know what the end result is? Burnout for some, apathy for others. Neither one of those are good. 
God wants us to have a vibrant community and to be connected vibrantly and vitally with our community, not to be passive and apathetic and spiritually lazy. And I know talking with many Messianic rabbis over the year, this is a major issue. People feel like, hey, someone else is going to do it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm home free. You know, I made I pass go. I collect $200. That's not how it works, friends. Time is a big gift. And how we use our time for the kingdom, we will rejoice and be glad if we redeem this time now. The day's coming when the reward will come. And number six, there's only seven. We choose to expend our time and energies doing things that please us rather than doing what pleases him. So we become self-pleasers. We do the things that we like to do. There are many things I like to do. I'd like to, well, I'm not even going to mention, a lot of them have to do with food and other things. <laughs> but yet, Scripture tells us to live with self-control. So if we expend our time and energies and even our resources on just doing the things that are pleasurable for us, what are we all about? Self. Self-satisfaction. When aren't we called to please him in all things? I mean, maybe I'm missing the point. Help me. Maybe I am. But I think we're called, according to the scripture, Genesis to Revelation, to please God in all that we do. As 1 Corinthians 10 says, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of yourself? No, for the glory of God. And lastly, number seven, I think this is a critical one. I, I have a term that I've used many years to describe number seven, the final one. I simply call it I-itis. I, capital I, itis. Itis is an inflammation of something. <laughs> an inflammation of I. I-itis. That's an exalted view of self. And, by the way, the fleshly trinity that's connected to self. Me, myself, and mine. And when our world, is, you know, just goes all around me, myself, and I, we're in big trouble. That means that the cross... The effectiveness of the cross hasn't really come into our life because we have been crucified with the Messiah. Our true life is hidden with him. And as we put to death those fleshly things, new life comes forth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, when it's I-itis, we suffer from this malady, the spiritual malady of I-itis uh, that we see by me, myself, and mine being the only things we talk about. We're in danger of not hearing really what God has to say for us. The only solution is to repent, humble yourself, place yourself at the foot of the tree. And ask the Lord to change you, to transform you, to conform you, as we sang today, into Messiah, the image of Messiah, as that song says. And suffice it to say here today, as I conclude, the Lord wants our undivided attention this year. Can we be single and focused this year? And single in our, in our devotion to the Lord? I think we can if we really... Ask him to help us. Because I don't think anything is more important in life right now and our eternity tomorrow than him. Nothing's more important than that. You might say, well, my bank account's more important. No, that's not transferring above. You might say, well, all I have is more important, more important than him. No. As Yeshua said in the parable, thou fool, today thy soul shall be acquired of thee. And when I think of God vying for the attention of his people, the parable of Yeshua that comes to mind for me is in Matthew, Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. Let me read this quickly. I think you'll get the point because it's very explanatory. Yeshua said to them, he said, listen to another parable. There was a master of a household who planted a vineyard. He put a hedge around it dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. Then he leased it to some tenant farmers and went on a journey. 
Now when fruit season drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Verse 35, but grabbing his servants, the tenants beat up one, killed another, and stoned still another. Again, the master sent other servants even more than the first. And they did the same thing to them. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. Verse 38, but when the tenants saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come on, let's kill him and get his inheritance. So grabbing him, they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And the parable leaves us with this question. Therefore, when the master of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? That's how he concludes the parable. There is so much to this parable, but please see this at least in the context of what I'm sharing here today. That the Lord in the parable is presented as the master did many different things to get the attention of the people. He planted a vineyard. He put a hedge around it. He put a wine press, a tower. He did all, he leased the land. He did all these things. And yet they squandered everything that he did. They took advantage and tried to take advantage of everything that was actually his. And diabolically plotted to get rid of the son and to take over, knowing that the son was the heir of all things. God who loves us here today and God who desires to bless us here today, friends, he sees our actions and he knows the attention we are giving him concerning his kingdom. Do you think he doesn't know how we are dealing with life? Do you think he doesn't know how faithful we're being with the very things he's given to us? He knows it very well. He knows exactly concerning kingdom matters, what's happening in our lives. And I'm asking you today, and I'm pleading with you, please step forward in kingdom ways this coming year. For some of us, I'm sad to say this, this may be our last year. And for others, this will be a great year of growing. And I pray there's no one in this community that steps backwards this year. But that we keep going forward and press on in the high calling of Messiah Yeshua here in Rosh Pina community. That we press on, that we, we, we shake the cobwebs off, get rid of the cobwebs and shake this apathy off and get connected and start working for the kingdom. Because we are blessed. The Lord has blessed us so much. How many of you are thankful that God sent his son for you? I am. I don't let one message go by in this community without me speaking about Yeshua. He's the very center of my thoughts, and it's in him that we have life. As that sign says back there, Yeshua offers us grace. Have you received an abundance of grace? He's given you grace. Ephesians 4 verse 7 says, to each one of us, grace was given in keeping with the measure of Messiah's gift. It's a gift, a free gift, as Rabbi Carl mentioned. It's a free gift. And Paul also said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, as God's fellow workers, we also urge you not to receive his grace and do nothing with it. One translation says, not to receive his grace in vain. Not to receive his grace and then do nothing with it would be a shanda, it'd be a shame, a scandal, a scandal. You see, my friends, God has spent and continues to spend much time and effort trying to get our attention in this age we live in. Why does he do that? Because he loves you. He loves us. He, he doesn't treat us like waywards. He treats us like his children, and he wants us to respond to him. And to, to follow the right course in life, which always involves following Yeshua by doing his will. Now, I leave you with this verse. Two verses that are connected. One's from the Brit Hadashah. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. That says, for we are God's making. 
His workmanship, other translations say. We are, God, are of God's making. We are created in union with who? With the Messiah Yeshua for a life, a life of good actions already prepared by God for us to do. And this parallels from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, that says this, But now, O Lord, Avinuata, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. And all we are the work of your hands. Those two Hebrew phrases that I spliced into that give the summation here today for us. As we look to God, we say, You are our Father. We are the work of your hand. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your great love towards us. We thank you for caring for us. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for the many hands that responded and said you had heard their prayers, including my own, Lord. Thank you that you help us in times when we feel down, that we can look to you. You set our feet on a high place. You deliver us from the miry pit. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us many opportunities. Thank you, Lord, that you give us blessings. Thank you, Lord, that you give us material things that we can be good stewards of. And thank you, Lord, that you give us relationships within the community that we can help one another and grow in grace and in the knowledge of your Holy Son, Yeshua. Lord, I pray this day that we would give you our attention in a fuller way. Thank you, Lord, that you are able to speak to us in ways that only you know we can hear. And I pray, Lord, that as we go forth from here today, that you would give us, Lord, an understanding of your will in a deeper way in our commitment to the community. We pray especially for Israel at this time. There are hearts crying out to you from all over the land and even beyond that, from all over the world, in behalf of your people. Please comfort. Please deliver the hostages. Please, O oh Lord, protect. And please, O oh Lord, be with those who are blameless. Thank you for that. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.